It's Tuesday, February 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Groundhog Day. Well, thank you. <laughs> We're going to talk What about happened? What happened with what? With uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Punxsutawney Phil, uh, early spring, no shadow. Nice. Yes. Nice. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil coming through for the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast, so thank you. Thank you, Phil. You can go back to sleep now or do whatever it is, is you do. Is there like a number two ranked groundhog in the country that like, covers other areas? Is, is Punxsutawney Phil just responsible for the Northeast or domestic, North America, or global? I think if there is a number two groundhog out there, that groundhog needs a better agent because I have no idea who that you know, secondary groundhog is. I don't know who the Pepsi is to Punxsutawney Phil's Coke. Pepsi's Pepsi's a lot closer. Yeah, whoever number two is. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna be. You know what we're gonna do today with the earnings stories? We're gonna go in order of market cap. We're gonna go, and we're gonna start with what is now the largest company in the public markets, and that is Alphabet, the parent company of Google. Shares up more than four percent today. Uh, after their fourth quarter results, and now that they've got the new corporate structure and they separate out the Google side of the business, Google, YouTube, etc., and then the moonshot side of the business, the Google side, operating profit margin of thirty-two percent. Holy cow! Holy cow! We knew we knew the the you know the golden goose was laying eggs, but there's a lot of eggs. There are a lot of eggs, and they're growing still. I mean, we're talking about this now being the biggest company in the world. And the biggest company in the world doesn't typically grow at astronomical rates. Uh, that's reserved for smaller companies due to the law of large numbers. And Google's, again, breaking the law. You know, They're, they're going be, gonna to be arraigned soon for uh, <laughs> what they're doing. 13.5% uh, growth in, in the year 2015, which was actually accelerated in the fourth quarter. And as you covered, I'm sure, with Apple, a huge company, still lots and lots and lots of sales, but not growing, uh, finally, after many years of growing at uh, rates that were hard to believe for a company as big as Apple was. And now Google gets to have the mantle of uh, most valued company in the world because, not, it, it, not because of the profits right now, but because the profits are growing uh, faster. Uh, much faster than Apple's are. Ruth Porat, the CFO at Alphabet, who's been on the job for less than a year. I don't know. We've uh, we've seen CEOs come in to a company and make a big positive impact right away. I'm hard pressed to come up with the name of another CFO who has come into a company, particularly a company as mature as Google is, and make the impact that she has made in terms of. Helping to revamp the corporate structure, tightening the purse strings, and and increasing the transparency for investors to say, okay, you want to know how we make money, and uh, they're not breaking out for they're example. They're not that transparent. Well, I was just going to say they're not so transparent that they're going to say, and this is how much money we took in this year or this quarter just from YouTube. They're not doing that, mm -hmm. but more transparency and enough to say that. Yeah, they're, we're not going to tell you precisely how much money we're making off of YouTube, but it's a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure if that qualifies as transparency, but uh, it it is the case that investors have been eager for more details, and they're getting 
more breakouts than, than they have. And, and there are a lot of moving parts. And as an investor, you would like to have all the details. Google is not going to give them to you, uh, but they're giving more than they used to. And you know there there are many, many, many parts of the business which are staggeringly big. There are now, um, I think, uh, six different parts uh, which have a billion active users. So I'm assuming name them. Google Search is one. Google Search is one. YouTube is another. That's two. Uh, that's where my list ends. Maps, Google Maps, sure. You use that. Calendar. What, what do you What do you surf the internet with? Uh, Chrome. Chrome. Yeah. Gmail. Gmail. And then what's fifth? Android. Android. Yeah. There you go. Six. Six different things, uh, which you use at least four of, five of, on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And and a billion people are with you uh, on that. So they're not saying, as you point out. Just how awesome YouTube is in terms of numbers, but they're they're hinting at it, and I think everybody who questioned whether it was worth the, the purchase price years ago uh, when when they made it um, no longer has those questions because it, it may be uh, the most valuable you know video property there is. By the way, for anyone who has an Android phone and is listening to this podcast, you may have seen the news, maybe not, that Google is getting ready to launch a new updated version of Google Play. Because if you have an iPhone, you have a native podcast app on that iPhone that cannot be deleted. And Google took note of that, and so they're they're going to be coming out just in the next month or so, I believe. At least that's what the schedule is. And it's going to be a new native podcast app for Android phones. So hopefully, Market Foolery, Motley Fool Money, and the suite of Motley Fool podcasts will be part of that ecosystem as well. Moving in descending order on market cap earnings, Exxon Mobil, big oil company, getting a little bit smaller. Fourth quarter profits down fifty-eight percent. And I know there are other numbers we can dig through. But I think we can just stop with fourth quarter profits down fifty eight percent. Yeah, little known fact: Exxon um, sells gasoline. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if you've been out there on the road in a car, possibly fueling up your tank every once in a while. Yeah, and not spending a lot. Not spending. See? Not spending as much as I used to. Not everybody put this together, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is actually affected uh, Exxon's total sales to the tune of uh, you know a staggeringly uh, big hit uh, to to revenues um, over the course of the year like 20, 20 billion or something forty billion. Do you think Exxon Mobil, as big as it is, obviously a little bit smaller today, but do you think they are likely to go shopping in twenty sixteen? Do you think that they? Are look and I don't know if they have a history of doing this sort of thing of of making tuck-in acquisitions or just sort of swinging for the fences as they did with mobile. Yeah, uh, I'm just wondering if they're looking at this year and thinking, here's what's going to help boost our share price and give us a little bit of growth. We'll go out and buy it. Uh, they may, and I think that uh, there are some good prices out there for. Players in the industry who do not have the balance sheet strength that that Exxon has, and 
there are going to be mergers uh, in, in the energy space, and Exxon, I'm sure, uh, spends uh, many employees' uh, time, full-time, looking at all the possibilities that there are. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they come away with something interesting. You know, uh, the, the full pain hasn't been felt yet, perhaps. We, we don't know. I mean, the oil prices could be whatever whatever they might be tomorrow. They move 5% a day up or down, and it's only going to be a sustained rise in oil prices above probably 40 or $50 that, that relieves the pain. Um, but I think that Exxon is uh, certainly able to take advantage of this opportunity. Do you think ExxonMobil's stock is looking cheap right now? Obviously, it's down from its 52-week high to the tune of maybe about 25 30% lower. I'm just wondering how... Obviously, it's cheap, and it's a huge company that's not going anywhere. I'm just wondering how much how attractive the stock is looking right now. Well, it's probably going to be valued more than anything on its dividend, which is around 3.7% yield right now, which is a pretty nice dividend. They're going to be able to sustain that. Uh, I have said before that somebody's going to make a lot of money buying energy uh, at the bottom of, of this cycle, and it's not going to be me. I, I just I don't have it, it's just guesswork. I think when the bottom will be. Uh, so is it you know is it cheap right now? Well, if you're a dividend investor, uh, finding nearly four percent yield is is pretty good. Although we'll discuss another company that has an even better yield than that shortly, and. I don't think that you're at at this point with a stock off roughly a third uh, from its high, you're getting a better price. But it's complete. I don't necessarily like investing in in companies that are to the extent that Exxon now is revealed to be not in control of their own destiny. Uh, you know, when oil was 100, 120 bucks a, a barrel, that that was great for it. And it's at thirty. It's completely different equation. They'll easily survive and continue to thrive, I think, but uh, it's just not my style. Royal Caribbean's fourth quarter profits came in higher than expected, but they lowered guidance, and the stock's really taken a hit today, down around 16%. And out of sympathy, or probably more likely out of the fact that investors are scared, shares of competitors like Norwegian cruise lines and Carnival Cruise Lines, both down as well. Not to the tune of 16%, but they're both dropping. And how concerned should be, with with headlines including the phrase Zika, Zika virus? Mm-hmm. I, okay, so every time something like that comes up, various things in the travel industry take a hit. That's It's not reacting so much on the headline scary stories there as the quarter that they've just executed. And the stock has had a phenomenal run, and now it's missed its numbers. And it's going to come down because of that. It wasn't at some absurdly high price, I don't think, but uh, it's now trading at about 10 times forward earnings, or the the previous estimate of what forward earnings would be. And and they're going to come down in light of today's warning about next quarter. China slowing down. They sort of got got ramped up to be ready for a big surge in uh, China uh, a little late in the game, as it turns out, because China's slowing down. Foreign currency, of course, is not news, and I think that was mostly factored into the expectation for this number. 
but oil, huge help to a company. This is I was a just going to say this <laughs> huge help, and and you know they we saw this recently with some of the airlines. Uh, yeah, and and the, you know the actual quarter that they just had, uh, they they made made their earnings numbers, but you know going forward, as is often the case, first of all that that we've seen this a lot with companies making their earnings expectations, missing their sales numbers by a little bit, and guiding for something significantly weaker uh, for 2016 and for next quarter than people had, had previously expected. So uh, I think that they've got their challenges uh, for, for Royal Caribbean and, and the industry in general, given the weakness in China and given the foreign currency issues. But, you know, they're... they're the Zika virus doesn't help, but that is the kind of story which has come and gone numerous times in the past. Shares of Mattel spiking today because fourth quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected. And with the toy makers, we've seen big jumps on occasion when one of their divisions did well. But it seems like in the case of Mattel's holiday quarter, they had a bunch of divisions doing well. Hot Wheels up, Fisher Price toys up, Barbie up for the first time in a few years. A lot of moving parts. A very opposite story to Royal Caribbean in terms of what we've seen over the last few years from Mattel, which has just been more or less stagnant um, for about ten years. Really, it's it's got about the same sales now that it had ten years ago. Uh, Barbie stopped growing about four years ago, and uh, American Girl has has had weakness and. Um, Monster High has has continued to be weak. Is it is this a brand that ever made its way into your house? Monster High. Monster High, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Both of those did. All three of those. American Barbie, Girl. American Girl. We had American Monster Girl. High. Yeah, but not Monster High. Monster High, pretty fun. Sure. Yeah. Here's the thing with Monster High that that I think uh, Mattel, what is it first of all? <laughs> so the premise of Monster High is that the classic monsters. Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, etc., have grown up, and now they have children, and their children are in high school. And so, if you think about it, it's and a, a little bit less scary than than their a dads. Little, a little bit less scary, but you know, they're high school kids; they're teenagers. They've they're, got the same problems that every high exactly. school has, and they're monsters. Not unlike in the Harry Potter universe, it's like, yeah, that's great that you're a wizard. You're still dealing with the same issues that most kids deal with when they're ten through seventeen. Although maybe not being hunted by the worst uh, wizard of all time, but uh, but I digress. Uh, so in terms of an idea, I think it was a, a pretty good idea that that Mattel ran with because just as we've discussed before with Disney and the Marvel universe and how you've got all these different characters, literally thousands of characters in the Marvel universe, that if you find the right storytellers, you can tell interesting stories and as a business make money off of them. In the case of Monster High, it's a it's a smaller universe, but it's still a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so that has been a weaker idea uh, in terms of execution recently than it was at its peak, and the same with American Girls. And I guess they've announced a partnership with Amazon to produce uh, original content uh, on Amazon, which is a good marriage, I think, of of 
uh, Amazon, which will then go ahead and sell you some things. I don't know if you can buy American Girl stuff on Amazon or, or if you still have to go to the store or you know the website. I think probably still to the website, but certainly I, I know from experience you can buy Monster High stuff on Amazon. Yeah. And and well, you can buy American Girl stuff, uh, but it costs a lot. Right. And and I think that's part of what they're dealing with right now is that the value proposition is uh, you know getting a little uh, thin there. So they they've got to make some adjustments. But you know all these names that we've gotten to, we haven't even talked about uh, Thomas, and and there are so many different divisions there that Mattel is going to have some hits and some misses all the time. They're doing a better job of turning things around. They lost the Disney Princess uh, contract with Disney, which is now gone to Hasbro, and that was a big hole, 7%, I think, of the total company revenues, and they've said on this conference call that they're going to be able to fill fill that and basically you know, continue to be at the same revenue level that they have been. They're still not producing growth. The stock's up a lot today, but it really hasn't had too many updates lately. Uh, one thing that will sustain it, I think, is it's about five percent yield, and the um, dividend seems secure. And they made reference to that and continuing to pay their dividends. So I, I think that's going to be attractive to some investors. Well, and despite the lackluster stock performance over the last few years, you you look at their history of. Paying out a dividend and methodically increasing that over time, and that's uh, that's I think in general, all things being equal, that's a good sign for management. Yeah, uh, that counts. The dividend counts. You don't just look at the stock chart and decide whether something's done what you want it to do. You have to look at how big the dividend is that it's paying out, and at five percent, that's doing a lot of the work on an annual basis that you would even hope for from stocks in this in this market. So. Uh, they've got their challenges ahead of them, but they do feel good. And I read through a little bit of the conference call, and management was upbeat about, you know, they, they were on the cover of um, whichever Time magazine. whichever one of those magazines is still around. Time is magazine. it Time? Yes, yes, the printed version of Time magazine. Yeah, yeah Barbie on the cover because there are now new um, new Barbies that'll have. Different uh, bodies, body shapes than the standard one-shot. I was going to uh, say historical, I, the Barbie classic. Imagine that a Barbie doll that's shaped like an actual woman, as opposed Probably to Probably not, but closer, closer. <laughs> Certainly a lot closer. Uh, before we wrap up, can we talk for just a minute about the 1993 classic film Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, which still holds up? It'll always hold up. I, I think it will. It's it's such a great comedy, and anyone who hasn't watched it really should, if not today on Groundhog Day, but certainly over the next week or so. You a fan of Andy McDowell's work? I'm not generally a big fan of Andy McDowell's work, but she is good in this movie. Yeah. And and uh, the late, great Harold Ramis, um, who directed it... Left us too soon. Left us way too soon. And I, I actually have... Um, uh, seen a an interview that he did talking about this script and how he gets a hold and and for those who have not seen the movie shame on you you should see it it's great uh, but Groundhog Day the premise of it is that Bill Murray is a weatherman in Pittsburgh he goes to Punxsutawney Pennsylvania small town Pennsylvania to cover the Groundhog event where Punxsutawney Phil comes out and reveals whether or not he sees his shadow. And then there's a blizzard, and he gets stuck 
in Punxsutawney for the night. And when he wakes up the next day, it's Groundhog Day all over again. He keeps reliving the same day over and over and over. And for everyone else, it's Groundhog Day. For him, he's the only one who who realizes that it's the same day over and over. And at first, he's he's starting to freak out, and then he sort of adjusts over time. And it's uh, just just a wonderful film. Um, but in this interview, Harold Ramis was talking about how he gets the script and he goes to the, Danny Rubin is the guy who writes the script, and Harold Ramis goes to him and says, "I I love your script." I want to make this movie, and I pr- and I promise you, I am not going to change one thing in this script. It is so great. I'm not going to change a thing. And the guy's like, "Great," and he signs over the rights and all that sort of thing. And then a couple of weeks later, Harold Ramis comes back to him and says, "Okay, here's the thing. I need to change a couple of things in this script because apparently, in the original script, the film begins in the in what is essentially the middle of the movie. So the original screenplay of Groundhog Day." Is small. It's Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and the Bill Murray character is this seemingly like omniscient character who just he's he's all knowing. He knows everybody in town. He knows events before they're going to happen, and then over time, and it's and the film sort of slips back and forth with the time continuum. And Ramis went back to him and said, "Actually, I think this is going to work better if we just start at the beginning and go all the way through." I did not know that. Uh, well, it's a great movie, and I, are there any particular parts that are stand out to you? One of the great character actors in American film, Stephen Tobolowsky, who is Ned? Uh, who is Ned, Ned Ryerson? <laughs> Ned Ryerson. Ryerson. It, and and if you've seen a bunch of movies, chances are you've seen St- Stephen Tobolowsky. Sure. And in and in Groundhog Day, he's uh, he's Ned Ryerson who. Uh, who has the classes, classic line, watch out for that first step, it's a doozy. So, And you, do you have a, a particular favorite point? Uh, I think it's Ned Ryerson, and I, no, it's, it's, it isn't, it, so it's not something that so much has set pieces, it's really sort of of a whole. Yes. There aren't, there aren't great scenes so much as, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept which has been adopted many other times and treated as a metaphor for many many things and i'm sure that will you know if you search not just today because you'll get groundhog day obviously but um a week from now there will be reference to that in the presidential election from somebody in in some manner just to sort of reveal that there is something about something that has repeated itself yes and it's overused but uh but it's it's a Great movie, and and everybody should be thinking about it today. And thanking Punxsutawney Phil. Yes, early spring. Uh, Thank you, Phil. Let me mention one more time, fool.com slash podcast. It's our new podcast center here at The Motley Fool. You can check out Market Foolery, past episodes, Motley Fool Money, Answers, Industry Folk, all the podcasts. Check them out. Go to fool.com slash podcast, and you can subscribe to any of them. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I got